So throughout this last season from January on, we've been traveling with Jesus. He makes his way from Galilee in the north where he was raised down to Jerusalem in the south where he's lifted up on the cross. And from chapter 9 to 19, he makes this journey with his disciples through Samaritan countryside, telling stories as he goes, stories that get inside of us and shape us from the inside out, that begin to form our imagination to see the world in light of God's kingdom and all that Jesus is doing. And this morning, we come to a story Jesus tells that's about prayer. Now, as Jesus talks of prayer throughout the Gospels, it's interesting to note he seldom talks about prayer. Far more often, he gives us prayers or shows us pictures of people praying. And that's what we get today. The Bible as a whole follows that same move. We're never given a manual for prayer in Scripture, but we are given a book of prayers, the Psalms, because you learn to pray not by talking about prayer, not by dissecting prayer into its parts and learning the different forms of prayer and and different kinds of prayer. We learn to pray by praying, by wading into the presence of God. And so this morning, as Jesus seeks to shape our imagination about what it is to pray into God's kingdom, he gives us a picture. Before we look at it, let's pray together. Lord, it's in your light that we see light. It's in your truth that we find freedom and in your way that we find peace. So come and shine on us this morning, we pray. In your name, amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book that we love. Jesus was telling them a parable about their need to pray continuously and not be discouraged. He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that same town, there was a widow who kept coming to him and asking, Give me justice in my case against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But after a while, he said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people, but I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there will be no end to her coming here and harassing me. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice for his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will give them justice quickly. But when the human one comes, will he find faithfulness on earth? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Diving into this parable, Eugene Peterson notes that the miraculous thing about human beings isn't that they pray. Almost everyone prays at some point in their life, but almost everyone also stops. What's remarkable is not that we pray, but that any of us keep at it. Jesus wants us to keep at it. 
And he tells this story to his disciples just days away from Jerusalem so that they will keep praying and not lose heart in the days to come. And as we look at this parable this morning to think about praying continuously and not being discouraged, one of the things for us to understand is that we come to this from many different places. And so there are different things in here that some of us will hear today. Some of you out there this morning need to hear about the urgency of prayer. See, one of the reasons that some people lose heart and stop praying is that they lose that sense of urgency behind their prayers. As I said, I would bet that every human being at some point in their lives resorts to prayer. They may not call it prayer, They may not know to whom they pray, but they pray. Because prayer is that that heart, primitive, even gut language. The most primitive and basic prayer is simply help. And when pushed into a corner, whether by illness or disaster, dread, grief, danger, whatever, there are times in all of our lives when we cry out beyond ourselves, help. But then that urgency begins to wane. The situation resolves or time numbs us to the pain. Humans are remarkably resilient. And as we come to a new equilibrium, we forget those cries for help. I've heard stories about how full this sanctuary was in the days following 9-11. And the same was true in sanctuaries in Michigan where I was living at the time. And across this country, even given our distance from what happened, We were forced together to face our weakness, our powerlessness, to face death and evil itself. And we fell on our knees asking for help and safety and some sense to make out of the chaos that had rained down. But then slowly but surely, the crowds dispersed. Life went on. We abandoned our praying and went back to eating and drinking, capable again of self-sufficiency, and that thin veneer of security. And that's not unique to us. Jesus notes the same tendency when he says, right before this parable in chapter 17, he notes the complacency that we get lulled into giving up on prayer and diligence. He references the days of Noah and Lot when so many were just living their lives with no mind toward God until God showed up and they were surprised. And too late. Jesus urges us to maintain that sense of urgency, to not be taken by surprise when the day of the Lord finally comes like a thief in the night, but to instead be found ready and waiting for the groom to return. And our tendency to forget the urgency of prayer is is nothing new, but there is something new that's going on in the world around us that makes remembering that urgency a little bit more difficult. The theologian and philosopher Craig Gay notes this, the most insidious temptations to worldliness today do not necessarily come in the forms of enticements to sexual dissipation or even to complicity in socio-political oppression, but rather in the form of the suggestion that it is possible and indeed normal and expedient to go about our daily business in the world without giving much thought to God. 
Let me highlight that again because I think he hits a nail on the head describing something that has changed in our modern secular world that is having disastrous results in the world, not least of which are in the praying lives of God's own people. The most insidious temptation to worldliness today does not necessarily come in the forms of all the things we might expect. Issues of sex, as important as they are. Issues of sociopolitical oppression, as important as they are. The most insidious temptations to worldliness instead come in the suggestion that it's possible and indeed normal and expedient to go about our daily business in the world, to go about our lives without giving much thought to God. Some of you need to hear this morning about the urgency of prayer to realize that we are all that widow, that our case before God is desperate and that our need of help and justice are urgent, that though the world tells us it is perfectly reasonable to live our lives without giving any thought to God, God is actually the central defining element of our lives, the one with whom we have to do in this life. And that this God is the Father Almighty, as we heard earlier in the 26th question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, able to provide and care for us in every way as Almighty God and Creator, and willing to do so, to draw near and bless us as faithful Father. No prayer is too big or too small. Jesus urges us, pray continually. Enter into the stream of divine communion. Drink from these streams of living water that alone can satisfy us. Some of you need to hear this morning about the urgency of prayer. But there are others of you out there that need to hear of no such thing. Because you are living the urgency of prayer. You are on your knees and have been for a while. A child or family member has walked away from the faith. A loved one is fighting a disease and losing. You are deep in the pit of depression or despair or grief. The loneliness and worry of this season are overwhelming you as we come to the one-year mark of these lockdowns and shutdowns. The idea that you would need to be reminded of the urgency of prayer is laughable because the pain and the longing and grief are always right in front of you. And as you seek to continue in prayer and not be discouraged, you are contending not with complacency and distraction, but with the deafening silence of God. One of the realities with which we have to contend as people of prayer is God's silence in response. And those who pray know that to be a common and repeated experience. And we today are not alone in that experience either. 
Because the Bible, while it doesn't give us a manual of prayer, gives us a prayer book, the Psalms, and that book is full of the witness of these masters of prayer faithfully struggling through that silence. Here's just a couple examples. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, O God, I cry to you by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. And yet while the master prayers of the Psalms knew God's silence and slowness well, they keep praying. And we know they kept praying because we have their prayers. How? How do we persevere in prayer when it seems as though God is not listening? When we are tempted to believe that God may not care or want to listen? How do you pray continuously and not lose heart? Well, Jesus tells a parable about a judge who doesn't fear God or care about what people think, and a widow among the most vulnerable and invisible in her culture and still in ours. The widow has suffered some injustice and having no male relative apparently to go to court on her behalf and having had justice withheld from her by the village judge, she resorts to the one possible thing she can do. She follows that judge around day and night, hounding him for justice, disrupting his life as much as possible, annoying and harassing him in the hope he will relent. And if you come to see yourself as the widow in this parable, it is not a far leap to begin to see God as the judge, the one with the power to do what you need, but so far uninterested in helping withholding that which he's supposed to give, silent in response, unmoved by your prayers. Perhaps it's disinterest. Maybe it's contempt. Maybe God has fallen asleep. Or maybe God is not there at all. And like the widow, you have two choices. Give up and suffer the injustice, dying slowly from the inside, or hound and harass God day and night, beating God black and blue, hoping that God might relent and answer your prayer. But, this parable is not an allegory. Jesus' interpretation of the parable is not, as it is in the story, so it will be in real life. Which means the point is not to see a similarity between the judge and God. The story, in fact, I think is meant to shake us awake from any such misconceptions. That the judge is, in fact, everything God is not. That the judge is a grotesque and twisted picture of what is so. 
And so if even this judge will answer the woman's persistent cry for justice, how much more so will God answer the prayers of God's chosen ones? And if she can persist in her requests with such an unjust judge, surely we can with a God who is justice itself. How can we continue in prayer? Because God who has been revealed to us in the Old and New Testaments is a God who is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. Is the God who created and sustains us and the world who loves us so much he sent his only son not to condemn the world but that the world would be saved through him. And who is gathering us into the work of reconciling all things. And because, just about a week after telling this story, we find Jesus himself on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night in which he has betrayed and he knows and understands what is to come. the physical suffering of the cross and the even greater anguish when the father turns his face away and the deafening silence falls. And yet, even still, he takes upon his shoulders all of our sin, all of our sorrow and shame, all of our despair and longing and grief, all the brokenness of our lives and of the world, and even under the weight of all our unanswered prayers, he keeps praying, praying until sweat falls like blood to the ground. He prays until he breathes his last the next afternoon. And he keeps praying because he knows our God works justice for his chosen ones. Because he knows that his own act is that justice being borne out. And that in the end, God will work vindication for the oppressed, will wipe every tear from our eyes, and will raise us again to new life. And on the other side of his act, we can look back and see the first fruits of that vindication in Jesus himself, as God gives his chosen one justice, as God opens his grave on the third day and extends the same promise to all who find their life in him. Which is why Jesus can urge us to keep on praying. To see the urgency and to persevere. To know that whatever the reason for God's silence, it is not that God is like that unjust judge. That the God we have come to know most fully in the face of Jesus himself is the God who is coming again to make all things new. And when the human one comes, will he find faithfulness on earth? Will he find us awake in prayer? Or will he find us sleeping? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this witness 
to prayer. For this widow who shows us such intense perseverance, who prays continuously and does not lose heart, even though she contends with an unjust judge who refuses at first to even hear her request for justice. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have such a judge to pray to. But we have you, our almighty and faithful Father, that throughout the stories of Scripture and the stories of our lives, we know you to be a God who is faithful and just, who is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love, willing to relent, ready to relent from punishing. So, Lord, stir us to prayer that we may enter into the streams of communion with the living God, that we may come to find our lives there in you, that we may pray continuously and not lose heart, that when we face, Lord, your silence and slowness, we may be drawn deeper into your presence and learn to pray along with Jesus. Not my will, but yours be done. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.